and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. Hey folks, it's good to be back with you at our home church. So glad to be part of your family, you being a part of my family. My name is Paul Trimble. I'm one of the pastors here uh, as Pastor Jeff and Pastor Hunter. If you're new, like this is maybe even your first week uh, or you've been here for four weeks, you're like, who is this guy? You might be kind of confused. And uh, I actually belong up here. Uh, thanks for letting uh, Bibi and I uh, take uh, some time, recoup, retool. Uh, you were in great hands while I was gone. Pastor Jeff and Pastor Hunter, I listened to them both online while I was gone, and <clears throat> you guys, man, you rock. I mean, you can preach, and thank you, both you guys, for taking the time to prepare a, a spiritual meal, if you will, for us to consume. That's what preaching is, right? Like, really working on that to preach solid biblical sermons, and it makes me feel good that we've like got a team of preachers uh, that can take over for me while I'm out, and the the bench, you know, of guys waiting to preach. It's a good, solid group of guys, and then last week, cool or what, we had Pastor Josh Green from Calvary Church in Severance, and if you didn't know, we switched pulpits last week. Some of you didn't even notice. You're like, hey, Bray, that wasn't you, Paul. Uh, because, uh, yes, it's funny that we look alike. Uh, by the way, we also both drive a Jeep because we're saved. And, and the bigger, the bigger reason we wanted to do that is to remind our two church families that we're not alone. We're part of something much, much bigger, uh, than just us. We are part of this worldwide church, real Christians, but right here, I mean in Colorado, uh, we are part of a family of churches called the Longs Peak Baptist Association. In fact, we host their offices right here. More than 40 churches in uh, northern Colorado, both long-established churches and church plants. And those guys, Josh's church, Calvary Severance, that's a church plant. We, Bentry, we're about building the church. The churches in, in the Baptist Association are about building the church all over Colorado. That's why we're a part of them. We didn't start out as a Baptist church, but we joined them because they plant churches. And listen, it's isn't a bragging thing, but your giving, Bentry, early on helped Calvary start. You see what I'm saying? Like they wouldn't be there without churches like you, like us, giving. I mean, don't underestimate the significance of your giving each week. There's people in the kingdom because of it. Uh, we use it here to pay bills, pay staff, yes, to do things like getting our new chairs. Is that cool or what? Uh, that's going to be a blessing to those guys. But we also send out money to missions around the world. I mean, both here at home, we... We take care of homeless people through House of Neighborly Service. We get, help people find housing. And in our Baptist missions, we have even student outreach to universities on campus. Our universities need that, right? CSU and, and UNC, we have big outreaches there that minister. And we even have one in the evil domain of CU. I mean, it's like amazing. No, and... You're giving as we partner with other churches like Severance uh, through our association of 
all the Colorado Baptists and even nationally through what we call the North American Mission Board is a powerful thing that God uses to share the gospel all over the world. I just don't want us to ever forget that we are part of a much larger family. So that's why we switched pulpits. Uh, But don't forget, and this is important, uh, that I'm much better looking than he is. So don't, don't trade me out. So... Seriously, it's good to be back with my family. I love you guys. I see your faces and I just, I get a little tear in my eye because I've missed you. So let's get started. Would you pray with me? God, our Father in heaven, you are a God who gives gifts to us. We thank you for the gift of freedom to meet in this place publicly. We thank you for the freedom of religion. We, you've given us this building. Thank you for the building. You've brought us together to worship together. We know it's a gift from you. The chairs we sit in, thank you for letting us give these chairs to another church and for us to get something else. And God, we celebrate today the ultimate gift of you, the purchase of our freedom by the sacrifice of your son, Jesus the Christ. God, as we get ready to open your words in scripture, we just ask that you, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Speak to our hearts. Give us insight to who you are. We want that deep relationship with you. So, God, we're going to go deep so we can grow deep in that relationship. We want to become all that you want us to become and that we might bring you glory in the way we live our lives. And, Lord, let me just say, like, I always feel just, well, so inadequate for both preaching a job today and leading this body. But we know that you are not limited by me or anyone else. That your power is real. I I just pray that you help me disappear behind the text of scripture today. And that you make much of your truth in our lives. And Lord we focus uh, right now. And we give you these few minutes back as just an act of worship. It is in the name of Jesus Christ our Savior and Lord. We all prayed and said. Amen. Amen. Well it's been a minute or two since we've been together. And I kind of left you hanging. Sorry. Well, not sorry, I do that on purpose, so you'll like come back, right? Uh, Let's recap for the next few minutes, and we're going to do something a little bit different this week and then then the next two times together. For those of you who are just joining us, we're going through the Gospel of John verse by verse. That's what we do. We go through old books of the Bible. We're real super slow. We wring out everything that we can in this. So we've just been in chapter 5 to chapter 5 of John We've seen this third sign that John gives us uh, is Jesus heals this lame man at the pool of Bethesda. And I say third sign or third miracle because John points out this third sign, this third miracle. Now, Jesus does a ton of other miracles, right? But what the apostle John does in his book, other than, different than the other gospels, is he says, look, these are eight signs These eight miracles that are specific, that point to something about Jesus that we can know about his holiness, about who he is as God. So chapter 5 begins with this Jesus healing this lame man by the pool of Bethesda who had been hoping for kind of a spiritualism kind of remedy, I don't know, uh, kind of a wives' tale kind of thing. Maybe I'll get healed if I get into there. He had been sick for 38 years, lame. And Jesus had simply walked up to him, commanded this man to get up, pick up his mat, and walk, walk. The man had been instantly healed, right? As Jesus commanded, he picked up his mat and he started to walk. But the problem was, 
This was the Sabbath, or what we call Saturday. The Jews pronounce it Shabbat. This was a problem for these religious Jewish leaders. Over the centuries, they had placed another 39 laws on top of this one law. How to keep the Sabbath. And it had gotten so ridiculously absurd to this level, the religious leaders, um, in effect, had created another religion on top of the law. And God had said, uh, I'm going to change that. Jesus comes in and he changes that. This is this religious system they had built uh, at its basic level, and they had followed the law. They said, we follow the law so perfectly, so precisely to the minutest level, then God has to look at us and go, look how good they are. I've got to save them. That's a false religion. This man who had been healed could be facing some big consequences for walking, carrying a mat on a Sabbath, especially if he walked by these guys. Inconceivably, they could throw this guy out of uh, society. He couldn't buy or sell. They could even pick up stones and, and stone him to death, kill him. But the man had, <laughs> he had shifted the blame. You remember this? He throws Jesus on the bus. He goes, not my fault. You got to blame this Jesus guy. He hadn't known Jesus' name at first, but later when Jesus had found him in the temple and learned his name, and Jesus said, don't go and sin or something worse might happen to you. You remember that? As soon as he finds out Jesus' name, he goes back and goes, by the way, that guy that healed me, his name is Jesus. So this is where we're basing our talk off of today. John 5, 16. You'll remember this. Therefore, the Jews began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things, these things as healing lame people, on the Sabbath. Now, from here on out, in the book of John, we're going to see this issue of Jesus breaking this man-made rule that is on top of his law. Now, let me be crystal clear. Jesus never breaks any of God's laws. He never sins at all. He was sinless. But Jesus had used this specific deal of the Sabbath and how these guys, these religious leaders, say it should be kept. He says, I'm going to break their rules to show them a point. And it's not a little point. In Mark 2.27, he even claims right to their faces, he is Lord of the Sabbath. We'll look at that in a moment. Now, I say that today is a little bit different. Here's what I mean. Usually, usually, we can move forward at least a little bit in the story in John. Like we get at least a verse. But as we do that, there are some issues that we come across, like this one, that we need to take a a, a little time and drill down into the deeper meaning. We did that, you'll remember back this earlier this spring when we looked at worship. You remember? And we're going to do that here because it's right here that we can... We can gain some significant insight into this topic, not just why it's so important to us, but who Jesus is. Now, the topic is the Sabbath. What is the Sabbath? What is Shabbat? Why is it so important to these guys? And how does it play out in the functioning of Jewish observance of the law and then how Jesus treats the Sabbath? And then eventually we're going to get to go like, what do we actually do on the Sabbath? Finally, that's, uh, we're going to spend three weeks on it. Now, the challenge is that we could spend like 15 weeks, and maybe you know I'm telling the truth here, but we're going to go through this uh, 
Because it's so important to get down what we're talking about, the depth and the breadth of the meaning of what these people are arguing about and why Jesus says this is a big deal. Well, because this is actually is, has big significance in how we live our lives today and who we understand Jesus to be. This is huge, and we will face it time and time again in our future. And yet the doctrine of the Sabbath in the American church, for sure, is lost most of its meaning. We know a little bit. We go, hey, isn't Chick-fil-A closed on Sundays? That's something, isn't it? It's actually, though, quite sad. So let's fix it, shall we? Let's just get this understanding out. When we talk about doctrine, when we talk about teaching, what you need to know from Scripture, we need to remember to ask this question first. Is this doctrine of primary concern of believing in faith to be saved? Like, is this a core doctrine of the faith? And an example of that would be to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that God the Father truly raised Jesus from the dead, that he was both man, uh, fully man, and truly God at the same time. And these types of critical doctrine beliefs that we must hold to are saved. Sometimes we say these are closed-handed doctrines. In other words, not open to negotiation. I'm not going to argue about it. I'm just going to tell you this is what's true. This is what the Bible says. Or another, uh, or how about the Bible is the foundation of the truth of all we believe in our lives. That's a foundational truth, not open to negotiation. Primary doctrine is critical to our salvation. Now, there are secondary issues that are very, very important that relate to the first issues. In other words, they explain the first issues. But look, we can still disagree on secondary issues and still be brothers and sisters in the faith, right? Sometimes we say things, these are open-handed issues. These are really important doctrines. We hold them, we hold them close to us. We hold and teach them, but they don't pertain to our salvation. Things like who should get baptized and even the modes of baptism. Like we dunk people. We're Baptists. We believe that, that a Christian, uh, a believer should be baptized, right? Where some churches that we love, like the Presbyterians, we love the Presbyterians. They go, well, we can baptize infants. We go, no. We don't think so. Now, it's enough to separate like we're not Presbyterian. We're Baptist on that. It's important beliefs, but those are still brothers and sisters in the faith. We go, yeah, it's important beliefs, but not critical to saving faith. Now, there's a third level or simply what we call tertiary. Sometimes that just simply means third level. Uh, It's preference. For instance, some pastors think you need to wear like a suit and a tie and Really nice shoes, and some pe- pastors say, "No, no, no, no that's, that's totally wrong. You should uh, preach in this ornate robe and have this sash around you to preach in." And I, on the other hand, believe that Wranglers are always a good choice. <laughs> three things are important. These tier three things. I'm sorry, tier things are important. They get bumped sometimes to tier two. People get real upset. Um, so let me be crystal clear as we walk uh, and talk through this section of Scripture. 
about the Sabbath and the Lord's Day, what we call Sunday, all the questions around those things, those are we would place in a solid tier two, but not in tier one. It's not salvation issue. You come across another Christian and they go, no, 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 we should worship on Saturday. It's not that, it, it, it's not a, it's important we worship on su- uh, Sunday. And we'll talk about why. Some would say it's, um, no, it's a tier three issue. Like it doesn't matter at all, like what, what you do. It doesn't even matter if you go to church and we go, baloney, that's wrong. I certainly would not put it in tier three, but I would place it as a solid tier two because it relates so closely to the depth and eternal teaching of who Jesus is and then how we live our lives. And specifically, it relates to this second section of John that we're studying here. That's why we're doing this because of how Jesus uses this particular doctrine of the Sabbath to take down these religious dudes that are making it all a tier one thing. The doctrine of Sabbath is a much deeper topic than we could ever first imagine And second, some of the other doctrines that the Sabbath hits on are actually tier one things that help us understand that. In other words, how you view this doctrine of the Sabbath is much more involved with other doctrines tier one than would first appear. Like you go, I didn't know that. So let's start with the basics for a moment. What is the Sabbath? How did it come about? Are we still required to keep the Sabbath? Is the Sabbath Saturday or is it Sunday? We've touched on some of these a little bit, but let's see if we can pull it all together now over these next three weeks here, this week and two more. Let's start at the beginning. When I say the beginning, I mean the beginning. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. So the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. For on it he rested from all his work of creation. God completes his creation in six days. He steps back and he said, this is good. No, no, this is very good. And it's not like God somehow quits working altogether because By his hand, he upholds us all every second, right? It's not like God just said, well, I'm just going to take off a day. That's not what he did. But he quit from his work of creating something new. But it's as if he steps back and he looks, this is good. He goes, oh, man, thank me. Thank me. This is awesome. And he creates this memorial to himself by resting in his creative work. He blessed it on the seventh day and he declared it holy. What does that mean? Well, it means to set apart to honor himself. Now, don't get confused. God is holy by himself. Nothing he creates makes him more holier. But he can make something he makes holy by then setting it apart. Make sense? It's what it means to be holy. It means set apart from the ordinary and made holy by God. Now notice right off the bat in Genesis, God never gives specific, a specific command here as a law for mankind to celebrate the Sabbath. Some people are really surprised by that. 
There's not, nothing in Genesis that says, hey, mankind should celebrate the Sabbath. He just says he does. Now, from Adam through the patriarchs of Scripture, we're never told of them keeping the Sabbath or being told by God to keep the Sabbath. Isn't that interesting? They're never told to rest from their work on that one day of the week. Plus, before Adam sins, he's in the garden without sin. He's in perfect rest already with God. But after sin enters the world through Adam's sin, things change, don't they? Creation is said to have fallen. From Genesis until God gives his law to his people who he has set apart to make them holy, now he's going to set his people apart. We are not told too much about the Sabbath until that time, this seventh day of the week. Now, something I want to share with you that I find very interesting is that our number system is usually based on the number 10. Have you ever noticed that? Uh, it really just goes 1 to 10, then you start over. You got 11, you get to 21, start over again. You, you get what I'm saying. Now, some think that that's because we have 10 fingers uh, right there. And some think that it's that. Nobody's for sure, but now I'm, I'm not a big math guy. Now, Bibi was in the first service. Um, she is wonderful. She's not a big math guy. She's a big math girl. She, well, she's not big, but you know what I mean. So, I, I, don't worry is what I'm saying. I'm not going to go over your head with math. Because let's just be honest, I can't. I can't. What do we know there? Think about the number 10. If we think of a full day, there are 24 hours in a day. We know that how? Well, we've broken it down. Uh, there are 60 seconds in a minute, 60 minutes in an hour, 24 hours in one full rotation, right? In other words, if we think of a second as this tiny, tiny moment, and then we add them up, well, then we've been able to come up with this measurement system that figured out how long it took for us to go around the sun or to revolve there and then end, um, one day ends and another day end, uh, begins. Uh, Earth rotates. All right. Basic enough for you? That's the extent of my math language here. So here's my point. In every civilization known throughout history, every single one of them has used the same system of not 10, but seven periods of time we call days. Hit seven days, then we repeat, don't we? We call those seven days in a row a week. Here's my point. Every person that has ever lived has agreed on this point, Christian or not. We might disagree on how old the earth is or its origin, uh, where it came from, uh, but the seven days forming one week and then repeating goes all the way back to the original seven days of creation God set in motion. Now, you may not believe that, but then you've got to answer, where did the seven days come from? Because everything else is based on 10. Little side note here, during the French Revolution, uh, I think this is funny, because uh, the French are not great at inventing things. Let's just be honest. Sorry if you're French. Um, they said, well, our system is based on 10. Uh, the metric system is based on 10, so let's come up with a 10-day work week. And the rest of the world goes, No. So it never worked. For some reason, we are inherently connected to this number seven, seven day period. Okay, back to the Sabbath. It has its roots 
as the last day of that seven days. God makes it holy, sets it apart. We don't hear much about it until God creates for himself this people, the Jewish people, the Hebrews, from the line of Abraham. He delivers them out of Egyptian slavery, promises to take them back to land, promised to them. Abraham had been promised this land more than 400 years before. If they would live according to his ways, they could have this land. But what God did is to set his people apart from all of the nations on the earth, give them this special law, again, to set them apart, to make them holy. Now, we've covered this before, but it's worth repeating here. As God gives his people his special laws through his prophet Moses to set them apart, he gives them three sets of laws. It's important you understand this. Three sets of laws. We won't go into this far, but let me remind you of these. God gave his people the ceremonial, ceremonial, civil, and moral laws. God gave his people, just the Jews, ceremonial, civil, and moral laws. Now, ceremonial laws are things like, well, what you can eat or drink, like Hebrew kosher laws, right? What you should wear, when holidays should be celebrated, how you should celebrate holidays. This is the system of sacrificial, uh, sacrificing animals, the sacrificial system for purification. Civil laws, just like we have right now, laws that help us uh, guide our society, criminal laws, all that are in the civil stuff, how we relate to each other. But it's the moral laws that are at the core of this. This is the foundation. And God sums up those moral laws in the Ten Commandments given to us, given to his people through Moses at Mount Sinai, just after they had been delivered out of Egypt. Now, it's significant to me. The only moral law, I mean, the moral law is the only of those three laws that are written by the hand of God onto stone. And listen to this, written on every man's heart, what's right and wrong. Here's a thumbnail version of these Ten Commandments or the moral law. Look at the first three with me. I am the Lord your God. You shall not, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Now notice that the first three are about our responsibility in our relationship with God. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever noticed that before? Then, take a look at number four. Remember to keep the Sabbath day holy. What does holy mean? Set apart. Now, remember, this is a shorthand version of all of these. We'll look at the whole thing on this fourth commandment. Then you have uh, the rest of these through there. Look at number five. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. And you shall not covet. Now notice these last six are centered around how we should treat one another. The first three are a relationship to God. We saw that. 
The fourth is the Sabbath, how we celebrate it, how we keep it. And then the last six are how we treat each other. Isn't that interesting? Now, we point this out a lot, but remember when Jesus has asked the greatest commandment? You remember that? He says this in Matthew 27, verse 37. He said to them, said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. You're seeing this? You see why he says uh, that, don't you? It's the Ten Commandments summed up right here. And right in between the first three and the last six, we have this one where uh, we are studying. Keep the Sabbath holy. Now here it is in full length, that command. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days. Most people forget that part. You're to labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock or the resident alien who is uh, within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the seventh day and declared it holy. Interesting. It is the longest commandment of all ten. Now the Sabbath up to this point had not been something man had been commanded to keep, had it? But for God's people, it had now been commanded Is one of the top ten by God through Moses. This is solid moral doctrine. But why? God was serious about it. Notice he locks down any attempt that we would have to get out of this. Because we're sinful people like saying, well, I won't work. But my store is going to be open and I'll pay someone to do it. I'll rest, but I'll have my people who work for me so I don't lose any money. Because that's a big day. God says, no, if you are a Hebrew, this is your moral law. This is to the Hebrews. He says, work six days and then take the last day of the week off for rest. Everybody, even your animals, don't let your animals even work on that. Now watch this. As you move through the week, as you were a Jew, you watch, you watch. You would work through the week and you would look forward to that day of rest that you would rest and worship. Now, I want you to understand this. At its core, the Sabbath was a time to rest and to worship God. At its core, the Sabbath was a time to rest and worship God. These two things inextricably linked, rest and worship. You cannot pull them apart. Can't rest without worship, can't worship without rest. We'll hit more on this later, but notice these two things here, inextricably linked. Now, rest and worship, they go together. We'll explore it, but I find it very interesting that when we hear the Sabbath first, it's in Genesis way back before the fall of mankind into sin. And at that time, in a sense, it was for the whole world, wasn't it? Because it was before sin. And they were the whole world, Adam and 
Eve. The Sabbath is part of the creation covenant. Like marriage is. Meant for the blessing and flourishing of all of mankind. It's an aspect of God's common grace. But after the fall into sin, we see it come up again when God is setting his people to be separate from ordinary. We don't have time to go into this too much in depth, but the Sabbath was not just every Saturday. Uh, it would have been special Sabbaths that had the feast that God would institute as well, like the Passover, like the Feast of Booths, all based on the number seven. Now, why is that so important? Well, because numbers in the Bible have significant meanings in how they are understood as a symbol of something else. Now, stay with me on this. Let me warn you before we do. People go overboard on this kind of stuff, especially when it's related to end-time prophecy, like the book of Daniel or the book of Revelation. So don't get in the weeds here. But let's just touch on it for just a few moments. You don't have to write this stuff down, but if this is interesting to you, write it down. For instance, number one, um, the number one, symbolic of unity. Because God is one. Number two, symbolic of uh, uh, witness. Uh, Christ sent his disciples out two by two. And you've heard this passage, wherever there are two gathered in his name, he is present. You remember the two witnesses in Revelation? Number three, symbolic of perfection and completion. The three persons of the Trinity are the best example of this. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Jump to number six, symbolic of humanity. That's our number. Man was created on the sixth day. Man labored six days. People who were sold because they had accumulated too much debt, sold into slavery, slavery or servitude, could only serve six years, and then they must be set free. Number seven, symbolic of spiritual perfection. And the, that's the number for God, isn't it? God rested on the seventh day. Jesus writes to the seven churches in Revelation. The churches, there's seven of them. That's a metaphor there. There are seven spirits described in the book of Revelation. There are seven gifts of the Holy Spirit described in, in the New Testament. Now, number eight, symbolic of a new beginning. This is really cool. Christ Jesus is resurrected on the eighth day. Uh, Christ appeared eight times after his resurrection. God saved eight people from the flood. The Jews are instructed to circumcise their little baby boys on the eighth day. Jump to number 12 for a second. Symbolizes spiritual authority. Think 12 tribes of the Hebrews, 12 apostles. Let's jump ahead. And you know this one, the number 40. It's a number for testing, a symbolic of trials. Think Moses lived 40 years in the desert, 40 years in Egypt, uh, and he was on Mount Sinai for 40 days getting the law. Jonah preached in a place he didn't want to preach, 40 days. Ezekiel, the prophet, slept on his right side for 40 days. Jesus fasted in the desert for 40 days and then was tempted by Satan. Interesting, if you remember back to our study through Revelation the number 666 is symbolic of evil. 
If it's the number of the beast in Revelation, without going too far back into that, you'll remember the three parts of the uh, unholy trinity, all the number of man, six, six, six. And then you have the number for God, seven, seven, seven. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Yeah, that should send chills down your spine. But it's the number seven that we see come up over and over again, starting with the first week of creation. So you had weekly Sabbath with these feasts, and there were special Sabbaths. Then every seven years, you would let the fields have a complete year of rest. You wouldn't plant them as a farmer. You just let them rest. Now, this takes a lot of faith. Because in fact, it was no small deal that when the Jews didn't celebrate the Sabbath year, uh, God sends them into bondage for 70 years for every Sabbath year that they missed. That's huge. And God had promised to provide for that year, for those whole years that they had to take off. On top of that, every seven of those years, Uh, To say it differently, every 49 years, there was a special Sabbath year called the year of Jubilee. Sometime we'll have to preach on that. It's fascinating stuff. Sometime we'll look deep into that. But what I want us to see is that the Sabbath was at the center, very center of Hebrew life for God's people. Should it be for us? You were never more than six days away from another one if you were a Jew. How did this commandment set God's people apart? Well, think about this. First, it meant they would have to depend on God totally for their food and income. Because if you didn't work on the seventh day, you might starve. Especially those Sabbath years. You had to trust that God would give you enough to last for two years then after that. And if we look at cultures around the world both now and throughout history, those outside both the Jewish and Christian heritage... It's work seven days a week, baby. No one takes a Sabbath day off. That's a strictly Jewish and or Christian part because we descend from the Jews. There's no day set aside in other parts as a, a regular worship of God every seven days. Now, especially in the ancient world, you had to work so hard so you wouldn't become poor, so you wouldn't starve to death. So all of this took great faith and trusting God. He's going to provide for us. That's today as well. That hasn't changed. The world tells you, work seven days a week. So God is saying, work hard six days, but then keep the Sabbath day. Rest on that day. Worship on that day. He says, I'll take care of you. Second, if you think about this, what is really, it's really commemorating is God's creation of the world out of nothing. Ex nihilo, the Latin phrase, out of nothing. The author of Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews 11, verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. As we think about God making his people holy, God puts his commandment about the Sabbath right in the middle of this moral law, the Ten Commandments. Number four. It's the fourth commandment. The commandment commemorates the end of the very first week, reminds his people that each week that the beginning of time was something that God brought about. The beginning of creation. Every week you have to go, oh yeah, God provides. In a very real sense, God is saying through this command, I am the creator. I bring life from nothing. 
your very life, your very breath and your lungs come from me. So let's apply what we know so far to John 5 as we've seen the last couple of times we've been together. Jesus heals this man on the Sabbath on purpose. And we see him do the same thing over and over again throughout the Gospel of John and the other Gospels as well. He heals people on the Sabbath. The religious leaders just go berserk over this. Because over the centuries they had said, "Mm, God, you're a little unclear so we're going to need to add. So they add 39 laws on top of this one law to show you how to keep the Sabbath. But Jesus had punished, uh, I'm sorry, pushed against this self-made, well, man-made set of rules. But the question was, why does Jesus pick this command to push against their made-up rules? Well, think about it through what Jesus responds to the religious leaders that are always accusing his disciples of breaking the Sabbath. His disciples, remember they had been walking through the wheat field, and this was totally legal to do, grab a couple of heads of wheat, rub them together, get the husk off, he was eating them. They were going, sinner, that's sinning, that's breaking the Sabbath, because you're harvesting. And we looked at this before, but let's look at this again, Mark two twenty seven. Then he told them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Now, please get this. Write this down. The Sabbath was intended as a gift to his people. The Sabbath was intended as a gift to his people. Who else was a gift to his people? Jesus drops a bomb on these guys, though, by complaining Uh, that are complaining against his disciples that are rubbing the wheat together. He says this in the very next verse. He says, so then the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now what does this mean? In other words, Jesus is claiming that even over the Sabbath, the most fundamental laws of how we live life, Jesus has authority. He has authority over its use when it is how you practice it. That's a big claim. Why? Well, remember, who had instituted the Sabbath under the law given to Moses? God had. It had been God's finger in the writing the Ten Commandments in the rock. Now go further back. Go all the way back to Genesis. Who had worked at bringing the creation from nothing for six days, then on the seventh day he rested? God. Do you see what Jesus is claiming here? I'm not flying too high for you, am I? He's claiming to be God. And these religious leaders, they get it. They know exactly what he's claiming here. Now let's switch gears. What had been the purpose of the Sabbath for mankind? To rest, right? And to worship. Those are two inextricably linked things there. To, To be reminded of our relationship, our dependence on a holy God, that our very breath is from him. That had been the weekly celebration of it and the feast and the big ones every seven years and then the year of Jubilee, year 49. All of it points back to our dependence on God. To enter rest and in that rest to worship and remember who this is all about. Now what does that mean? Well, here's a clue. If you walk through a really old cemetery, 
that Christians are buried in, it says something on most every tombstone. And will and on my, God willing, it says, R-I-P, rest in peace. Now, what's very interesting is that the world will see this. And they recognize that it's Christians that have put it there. They're like, and this came from a Christian society. And the world thinks that that means that they are wishing the people that have died a soft pillow and a good nap. Like you're not struggling anymore. It's not what it means. Check this out. To rest in peace means to enter into a perfect relationship with God in heaven through Jesus. Brothers and sisters, this is deep. To rest in peace means to enter into a perfect relationship with God in heaven through Jesus. You with me? And look at this. Don't miss this. Let's sum that up. Jesus is our rest in peace. Come on now. Jesus is our rest in peace. The Sabbath is a gift. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is the gift. The Sabbath is Jesus. Do you, do you see this? Not only, but Jesus claims to be the only one true rest. The only true peace that can ever be found. And to be without rest in Christ Jesus, well then, there is no rest. There's only restlessness. Torment of hell. Conscious punishment for all eternity. This is exactly what Jesus is talking about when he tells his followers this in Matthew 11 verse 28. He says, come to me all of you who are weary. And burdened, and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Now watch closely, because we're about to move really fast, and I don't want you to miss any of this. Remember, as God leads his people out of Egyptian slavery, do you remember that? The Passover leads them through the Red Sea, parts them. They're on their way to the promised land. They're in the desert. They've been promised this land of peace to be God's people living in this relationship with him. But that peace never came fully. Why? Because of the sin and rebellion in the hearts of the Israelites. Now we can point our fingers at them and say, oh, look how bad they are. But The truth is because at our base level, our heart is sinful. The core of us is sinful. We can't help but to sin. I'm not saying we don't have moral responsibility when we say we can't help to sin. But I want you to listen. Remember the way we say it. We're not sinful because we sin. We sin because we are sinful people. Do you see the difference? We're even sinful from our birth. I'll go beyond that. From our conception. When the little swimming thing meets the other little thing. And the baby is. uh, You got the little zygote. Isn't that the word? You put little babies there. We're sinful from that point on. You go no, 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 no. Now listen. The reformed doctrine of total depravity. You've heard me preach many times. From original sin. Says that we are born into a sinful world. Every area of our lives. Even what we consider the most holy. The best parts of us. Are tainted still with some sin. 
Now, it doesn't mean that everything that we always do is the most worst imaginable uh, Hitler-like thing we could do, but rather every single motivation, even the, the best motivations we have, have been tainted with this sin. It's our spiritual DNA. Sin. King David prophesies from God this very doctrine in Psalm 51 verse 5. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful from when my mother conceived me. Now, they're not talking about the sexual union there being sinful. They're saying, look, we're just all in sin. Using that picture of God's, by the way, let me just say that. Uh, there are some that say, oh, my, my babies, babies are just perfect. They're not sinful. I go, you've never had a two-year-old, have you? <laughs> Using that picture of God's people being led out of Egyptian slavery through the Red Sea and given the law of God. God promises his people, if you follow me and keep my commandments, then I will lead you to the promised land. Listen, that whole thing is a picture of our Christian life. You with me? What had happened though? They sinned. They couldn't help it. Why? They're sinful. And listen, of the two-week journey that they should have spent, and that's taken the long way. To take two million people from Israel, I mean Egypt to Israel, two weeks max. Took them 40 years. And all of them died in the desert except two. Joshua and Caleb. The people would eventually take possession of the land, their descendants, but their hearts were never fully devoted to God. They all, like us, still wrestled with sin. But God had promised his people that he would lead them to a promised land. Now listen to what the author of the New Testament book of Hebrews tells us about that promise. Now don't let your mind wander on this. We're going to look at this this week and next week. But I want you to look at this, this passage. Therefore, since the promise to enter his rest remains. He's talking about the Jews never making it. Let us beware that none of you be found to have fallen short. For we also have received the good news just as they did. But the message they heard did not benefit them. Since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. For we who have believed enter the rest in keeping with what he has said. So I swore in my anger they will not enter my rest. That's God speaking. Even though his workers have been fit, works have been finished since the foundation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in this way. All right, listen close. And on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. That's what we've been studying. Again, in that passage, he says, they will never enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it. Oh, this should get you excited. And those who formerly received the good news did not enter because of disobedience. Watch, watch. He again specifies a certain day. You should have that underlined like little exclamation points. Certain day. There's a day set, in other words. Today, he specified this speaking through David after such a long time. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not spoken about another day. Ooh, come on, baby. Therefore, a Sabbath rest remains for God's people. 
For the person who has entered his rest has rested from his own works just as God did from his. Let us then make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. This is referring, when it quotes, it's quoting Psalm 95. It goes beyond the description of just unbelief. It goes to its consequences and it defines the nature of the word rest. That there is still a day in the future. Oh, grab this please. There's still a day in the future that Jesus is the day of rest. This should get us excited about this rest because this word promise. It's here that we find this word mentioned for the very first time in Hebrews. The author here tells us that the promise is defined as entering into Jesus' rest, God's rest. That's a promise. This is powerful. In Psalm 95, 11, God calls it my rest because it's his son. This is talking about heaven, right? All right, back in the wilderness. Even though the Hebrews had the promise of God, they did not have faith in the promise of that rest. And they turned to sin and against God. They forfeited their promise from God and died in the wilderness. Now we're going to end it here today because there's just too much to fit into one or even two weeks. We've got to fit it into three, God willing. We still have to see why the Sabbath is so important and why it's relevant today. What we need to actually do with it as believers. And we want to look at why we as Christians celebrate and worship, look, on the Lord's Day, Sunday, instead of Sabbath. And we'll, we'll look at why we say to those people that practice the Sabbath still on Saturday, now you should do it on Sunday. We'll unpack that scripturally. We'll end this with a very... Just a little teaser of what we have to come. We already know that Jesus is our Sabbath rest, don't we? Somebody say amen. And yet, we still have not made it into the final promised land. We call it the in-between. In a very real way, we can be likened to God's people being led out of slavery in Egypt through the Red Sea and into the wilderness, the desert. We are traveling Following the promise of God, living our lives based on that promise, even though we have not seen him with our eyes. Look, if we are in Christ, we have been delivered from the bondage of sin, right? The blood of the lamb sacrificed for us is the Passover lamb of God. Jesus' blood covers our sin if we believe. We have left our old life of sin and bondage behind just like the Jews had left Egypt behind. We were baptized in the faith like going through the Red Sea. You see the parallel? We have a new life of following God, don't we? Even though we have not been set free, we have been set free from our sin, we have not made it all the way to the promised land. We're still here in this messed up fallen world. Like our verse in Hebrew says, the promise to enter his rest remains. Let us beware that none of you be found short, have found to be fallen short. For we also have received the good news just as they did. 
But the message they heard did not benefit them since they were not united with those who heard it in faith. If we heard the message of God, the message of the gospel of the hope in Christ Jesus alone, we have been given faith if we believe. We are looking forward to the day, aren't we? The day of his return. The day when he will put his enemies under his feet and get rid of sin for all eternity. I can't wait until next week. It's going to be powerful. Let's pray. God, as we have looked at your words, to see the depth and breadth of the meaning of what you are talking about, the foreshadowing of you, Jesus, and the the story of the Israelites crossing the Red Sea and the desert and the law. God, I pray that Not just that we would learn the law more completely, but we would learn who you are, Jesus. That we would come to be in your likeness. God, keep us from legalism like the Pharisees. But also keep us, God, from the Christians that are just saying, oh, it's no big deal. God, show us how you want us to keep the Sabbath. Jesus, as we look forward to entering into the rest of you, as we live in between, God, help us to keep our eyes set. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentryChurch.com.